know you were here so that we can pray for you. And uh, on that uh, card, there's a space for prayer requests. Uh, it is one of the greatest joys of our staff as we gather each Monday afternoon to be able to go through those and pray for you um, as you need it. And so please let us uh, share in that with you and uh, let us know you were here. Uh, so a couple things coming up. Uh, one, uh, D-Now, end of this month, February 25th through 27th. Uh, teenagers, get signed up. Parents, get them signed up. Uh, it's one of my favorite weekends of the year. And uh, I'm super excited. Uh, Shane Booker will be here uh, speaking to our teenagers about identity in Christ. Uh, we have such an identity crisis with teenagers right now. And so uh, I'm super excited to be. Connor and I are teaching this, this month on Wednesday nights on that. And Shane's going to kind of uh, bring that to a, to a nice conclusion there um, for them that, that week. Uh, last year in May, I guess, I think it was Senior Sunday, I talked to you guys about uh, partnering uh, with our students to pray for them and many of you men and women contacted me reached out and I think you've been praying for these students uh, each day uh, I did a terrible job of following up as our sixth graders came into our student ministry in August uh, with connecting them with someone praying for them and we've had some people who are no longer with us whether it be graduation whether it be you know any of those circumstances and so uh, I need some more uh, men and women to partner to pray for our students. And all we're asking really is that um, I'll give you a name. And then um, Amber, see Chaz volunteered for this, and Amber knocked it out of the park. Uh, so thanks for volunteering, Chaz. Uh, Amber, this is sweet Sadie Grace. I don't want to embarrass you, Sadie, but uh, this is her card right here. And Amber had these cards made up. And this is just some information on this card, um, a way to contact Sadie, text her uh wait just maybe your favorite snack if you want to show up on a sunday morning with um some cool ranch doritos uh sadie would really like that uh and so we want you guys to have this and all we're asking really is this is that uh face to face you say hello to them once or twice one of the things that we didn't do last time was ask you to reach out and let them know that you're praying for them um just even as a dad who's got a senior going out to know that michael willis is praying for rj to know that as he steps foot on campus in Oxford next fall that Michael Willis is still praying for RJ. That's an incredible thing to know that it's not just us as parents, but that you guys as a body of believers, as our church, and the heart of our church is for people and uh, to know that they're still praying. So uh, if you are interested in that, uh, or I tried to, you guys that were already signed up, I tried to get you this, this card before service. If not, I have it for you and I will find you after service. But come see me and uh, I will get you connected with someone. I will get you their card and uh, just... You know, text them once a week, twice a month, whatever, and just say, hey, how's it going? Can I, you know, what can I specifically pray for you about? Check, you know, touch base with me or Connor. We can kind of help you with some things that are going on and let you know what you can be praying for. Several of you have been doing that. And um, I'll just tell you what, it does two things. One, it convicts my heart to make sure that I'm praying as I should be. And number two, it brings me great joy to know that you're praying for our students. And so um, as we continue in uh, worship, I'll pray for us. And, and we'll continue. Father God, we thank you that we can come to you with our prayers. God, in, in, in James, it says that we confess our sins to one another and that we pray for one another. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. God, I pray that our church would embrace this. We pray for our students. We may be living in a time where it's never been harder to be a teenager. 
I just pray that not only would we pray for them, but they would feel our prayers. That they would know what it feels like to be loved, prayed for, cared for, and invested in as sons and daughters by their brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that your spirit would fill this place as we continue to worship, God, that these words would not just be something we read from a screen, but from the depths of our soul, we worship and praise you. We ask that you speak through the message this morning, God. Nothing but you can be present here. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand again and sing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. See like never before. Oh my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a
So praise the God who saved. Praise the God who bled. Praise the
seated. Good morning. I would like to invite you to continue your worship through giving. Um, at Covenant, you can give in three ways. You can give at covenantchurch.com. If you're really hip, you can actually give by texting to the number on the screen. Um, and there will be baskets at the end of the service that you can also give to. Um, and I want to remind you that when you give to Covenant, you give through Covenant. And one of our ministries is our matched ministry. And um, that is what we use to bless our families who have fostered and adopted. Um, and what I would like to challenge y'all to do today is to think about um, how we can support those who have fostered and adopted. Um, they have followed Isaiah 117 and taken up the cause of the fatherless. And so we want y'all to step into you know, some of the gaps and help to support them. Um, we are not asking you to commit to a specific person. We're not asking you to make a big time commitment. Um, what I would like today is to ask you to commit to just being on a list where we could text you and ask if we needed something. So let's say that um, one of our moms is having a really rough day. Would you be willing to be on a list and we could just text you and say, hey, Tracy might go crazy if she doesn't get a sonic drink. Could anybody bring her one? <laughs> Okay, or maybe something bigger of we have this family who's had a really, really rough week and they need a night out. Um, would you be willing to go and babysit their kids so they could go out on a date night? Okay, so all I'm asking you to commit to is that you would be willing to be put on a list that we could text and just ask when there was a need. Um, so one of the things that I think we often forget is um, in families who have a child who has come from significant trauma, that things can be much more difficult for them. I know a couple of weeks ago when my family had COVID, it was just very inconvenient, kind of annoying, um, that sort of thing. But for families who have um, a child that has come from trauma, something as simple as um, a sickness can really cause you know, issues for the whole family. And so we want to make sure that when these things occur, um, that as a church family, we are stepping into this gap, that we are um, able to love them and serve them um, in their time of need. And so if this is something that you'd be willing to do, again, no big commitment, just being on a list, um, then if you'll get out your connection card and just write your name on it and then write the word matched, you don't have to put anything else. I will find you if 
if you're up for that, I promise I will find you. So that's all you have to do is just put your name on a card and write match, um, and you will just be on a list that we could text whenever there is a need. Um, so if you'll just join me in praying for these families. Father, thank you so much for your deep and abiding love for us. Thank you that you do not leave any of us as orphans. Thank you for the way that you just pour out your love for us and for every child. Um, thank you to the families in our uh, church who have responded to the call, and they have um, fostered and they um, have adopted. Lord, I just pray that you will be with each of those families um, as they are struggling, as they are having good days, um, and all the times, Lord, that they will never forget um, how much you love them and how much we love them. Um, help for us to um, serve them and to let them know that we are there for them in all of these times. And I just pray that you will um, just pour a special blessing on these families this week um, and help for them to just rest in your love. Um, and I thank you for their obedience to you, Lord. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, if you will stand for our scripture reading. Matthew 25, 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. To the other, um, two. To another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them. And he made five more talents. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You may be seated. Amen. We'll uh, dismiss our school-aged kids to the back. There's Miss Robin back there. Y'all follow her. The rest of us... Um, let me invite you to open in your Bibles, if you brought one with you, to Matthew 25, the text that uh, Jamie just read. And we're going to jump in there in a second. And we're starting a new series today called Above and Beyond. And um, I love uh, a couple of those songs that Miles uh, and, the, and the band led us through this morning. Especially the one, uh, Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble? Do you all remember that song? That was like, like really hip, like in... 95, I think, uh, maybe it was 97. I remember uh, just, I love, I grew up in a really Baptist world where there was no, there was no singers and dancers when it came to, uh, you know, following God. Yet, when we look at scripture, not even just the Old Testament stuff about David dancing in his undergarments or uh the worshipers leading out uh, the armies of God to battle at certain times. The picture of the heart of God is this very thing. It, it made me really think of uh, <clears throat> Luke 15 and the prodigal son as he had gone and come to his senses and was coming back. And he came back and, uh, you, you know, the father sees him, runs to him, embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
And of course, that's no real issue because we don't ever earn the Father's love. The Father's love doesn't, he didn't love us because we're lovely. He loves us. We're lovely because he loves us, right? And then the Father's like, okay, it's time to celebrate. Bring in the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for my son who was dead is now alive, which is just this incredible celebration. So we're calling this series, it's really a series on generosity and not, and immediately people start thinking money, but it's way more than that. It's the above and beyond. And the passage, I read that uh, several months ago as I was reading through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 3, where Paul is talking about God's heart for us, you know, that, that he wants to, but more than you think or even imagine. And the translation I was reading, I think it was New Living, said above and beyond kind of love that God has for us. And I'm so excited this morning that we serve an above and beyond God, aren't you? We'll try it again. Aren't you? I mean, you know, God could, God could have been Eeyore up there, always just unhappy and, uh, or chicken little. The sky's always falling. Everything's always terrible. Yet the thing that Jesus talked about most, especially in his final discourse um, between the upper room and him actually going, to, uh, going into the Garden of Gethsemane was his joy. He kept saying, you do this and my joy will be upon you and you will be filled with my joy. And I just love that, that we serve an above and beyond God. That he says that he's come that we would have abundant life. That he's come that we would have rivers of living water flowing out of us. That Paul would say of walking with God that we are more than conquerors. That God's heart for us is more than we could ask or think or imagine. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. What an incredible picture. And then we fast forward to the very end in Revelation where it talks about what the end looks like. And it's these angels worshiping around the throne of God and all these instruments that we've never heard. I mean, just this cool picture of this above and beyond God. And he's called us and made us his above and beyond people. And as we follow him, the traits of the Father will become imprinted upon our souls. It will become imprinted upon the rhythms of our lives and our schedules and our bank accounts and our calendars. And through this series, I want us as a faith family to consider what does it look like for us to go above and beyond in the mission of God. Now, a lot of times you hear this word mission of God and it's a scary thing and people immediately think about, I got to be a missionary overseas, and that might be part. That certainly is part of God's heart, is the nations, absolutely. But way more than that, that God has called every believer, if you're in this room and you consider, you call Jesus your Savior and your Lord, He has indwelt within you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings with Him these supernatural gifts that help edify the, the body, but also extend the mission of God. As the Great Commission would say, hey, Jesus says, I want you to go. He tells them, I want you to go wait, and I want you to wait, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when the Holy Spirit's c- going to come, that's when, that's, when the, that's when the mission of God is going to go forward through us, and that has not changed. COVID didn't change it. 2,000 years hadn't changed it. Whatever difficulty you're walking through has not changed it. That is God's call on our life. We're to go above and beyond the mission of God. And what I think has happened, especially through COVID, maybe it's just exposed it, is we have found ourselves pretty lethargic, pretty apathetic when it comes to the mission of God. We've made life all about us and not about him. 
We've made life all about pursuing our dreams and reaching for the stars, right? And yet that's not what God's called us to do. What did he say? He was going to do far more. But that was only going to come in the way of you dying to yourself unless the seed dies. It does not bear and produce fruit. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to explain, try to explain why I believe we're in such a strategic time in the life of our church. And we're going to paint a picture of, 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 of where we are or where we've been and where I believe God wants to take us in this next season. And then I'm going to call us, all of us, namely myself, to go above and beyond to realize these goals, these steps that God's put in front of us. And I'm going to lay all my cards on the table out front. We have some unbelievably committed, generous people here at this church that just in about every way live in an above and beyond posture for the kingdom of God, for the mission of God. There's a big group of you. I mean, we had this mission goal just a couple weeks ago. We, there's no way we thought we would ever, I mean, shame on me and Jason. Because we were like, oh, man, 100,000, there's no way. We're after, after we had some promised uh, gifts that got, got packed out. And you showed up, and God showed up, and we met that goal, and we blessed our mission partners, and we are still celebrating. It's incredible. Some of you have dug deep to do that. But there's also some of you in this room who are only halfway there. There's instead of above and beyond, some of you are just status quo kind of followers of God. Or maybe even some of you, you're below and behind in regards to the mission of God. And I believe God has so much more in store for us. I'll say right up front, we're going to consider in this uh, series a financial commitment to the kingdom of God. And that's certainly not the only factor as a... As a as we really talked about it, it's probably the least of the factors, but it is certainly one of them. And we're going to talk about that because Jesus said that money is the currency of our lives. And you show me where your money's going and I'll show you where your heart is. Not my words, the words of Jesus. How we spend our money indicates where our heart really is and where our true kingdom really lies. Now, I know a lot of times if you're new here, the pastor's talking about money again. People say, why do you always have to talk about money? I will, I will point out that we have not done a message on money specifically in a couple of years, and today's not the day for that, but there will be one, one coming. And I'm not going to tell you when it is, because you will not be here for that one. It'll be a surprise. I will tell you that this, this whole series is going to challenge you. It is going to be an equal opportunity offender, because we're going to talk about all the things that we like to grasp onto and hold tightly as our comfort and security. And God is simply whispering to us, if you would just trust me, I would do far more than you could think or ask. Above and beyond. Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in the New Testament. Did you know that? He had more to say about money than heaven and hell combined. Because money is usually the most accurate barometer of where our heart is. Where you spend your money shows where your priorities really lie. Where you spend your money shows what you really care about. It shows what kingdom you serve. It shows what God you really trust in. And I'll say this, and I say it anytime we really talk about giving. If it's really a problem for you to hear a message about giving, 
because you really can't get over the church just wants my money, then I'd prefer you hear these messages and respond by giving somewhere else, not to us. Hopefully one day we'll earn your trust where you can trust that we're going to steward these resources well for the uh, extending the kingdom of God around the world. But if you can't trust us yet, I still want you to have an open heart. And as you hear, if you can't trust us, give somewhere else because I care way more about you developing a generous heart than you giving money here for sure. And people always say, and it's, it does feel a bit self-serving that we're talking about this to me personally. And there's a reason that we've not entered into an initiative like this to raise money, to take a real big next step other than our mission offering really from the beginning. When we planted the church, I wanted to make sure that we took care of our missions focused first. So a lot of people that planted the church 11 years ago, my, uh, my friends, uh, they've, they've grown, they've built huge buildings and multiple buildings. And that's fine, and God led them to do that. In my heart, it was more about let's, let's make us a missional church. I feel like if we're immediately raising money for us, it's going to be about us, and I don't want this to be about us. And so we invested into other people and other planters, and we were able to plant several churches out of this church, and you're going to hear more about them even in this uh, series. So we're going to talk about finances, but that's just one of a much larger part of the whole, and we're gonna, I'm going to get to kind of our goals for this thing here in a little bit. But before we do that, let's jump into the uh, passage. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, verse 14. Tell you what, let's pray before we jump into the word. God, thank you for today, and thank you for your word. And it's living and active. It equips us and rebukes us, corrects us, encourages us. Lord, help us to see your steadfast love for us today. Help us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now when I was a kid and I saw this, one had five talents, one had two, I used to think that it meant like juggling, like like a legit talent, you know. Um Basketball, a juggle. There was a phase that Leighton went through uh, where he was doing magic tricks. Anybody know magic, Leighton? Anybody knew that? It was, he might still be able to do a couple. I don't know. It, it surprised me. And I was like, oh, that's Leighton's talent. You know, he does, he does magic. Um, but talent here is actually a unit of money. And rather a large one, it's about 6,000 denarii. The average wage back then was about 300 denarii a year. So one talent was about 20 years wage. And it was actually a measurement. A talent was actually a measurement of weight. So basically the way to kind of read this is like it's a, it, this is really a bag of gold. So one guy gets five bags of gold. One guy gets two. And one guy gets one. And in that are these gold coins that are worth about 20 years wages. You're talking about a lot of money. So even the guy that got the one, don't think he got dismissed. He got a lot of money entrusted to him. 
Each servant was given a different amount. They had no say in what they got. They were only responsible to steward and invest to the fullest whatever the master had entrusted to them. Verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Now he's got ten bags of gold. And the one who had the two talents, he made two talents more, four bags of gold. But the one who had received the one talent went and dug, it in, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and set up accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you can hear the excitement as master. You delivered to me five. Here, I've made you five talents more. Here, he puts in front of the master his ten bags of gold. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Look at this word joy again. Enter the joy of your master. And he also had two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered me two talents, and here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, same thing, same response, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Because of the faithfulness of these two servants, one with the five and with the two, the servant actually, as a result, was made ruler over more. And that makes sense. Both of these also eager, seemed eager to see the master. Both of them proved to be trustworthy. Both received the same reward a deeper relationship and more to steward and a well done by the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forth saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I'd circle that word, I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now, he didn't steal his master's money. He didn't try to run away with it. He didn't give him a briefcase full of IOUs like in Dumb and Dumber. Unlike the prodigal, he didn't blow it on drugs or partying or prostitutes or gambling. He came and gave the master back 100% of what the master had entrusted to him. And if the story ended there, you would think, okay, this makes sense. It doesn't end there. Verse 26, but the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where and, and gather where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten, for to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, 
even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an incredible response. And you've got to think about why is Jesus telling this story? And you would probably know more of this if we were walking through the Gospel of Matthew. We haven't done that. We probably will one day. We've walked through the Gospel of Luke, all of it, in three years. And we walked through the Gospel of John, and we did that in just about a year. It's time, but we haven't walked through this. But if you were to pan out a little bit, Jesus is really, Jesus is in his last days on earth. And so much of Jesus' teaching we get in those last couple weeks You know, if you put all of the teachings of Jesus together in all the New Testament, taking out the ones that are duplicates, that they're telling the same story, you've got about four hours worth of teaching. And yet, those four hours of teaching have us, even today, right, transfixed. The lessons that he gave us, the life lessons, as he clued us into what real life really was. And so as we look specifically in this passage, Jesus is very close to going to the cross. And he's reminding his disciples how to live once he's gone. The parable right before this is Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins who are waiting on their bridegroom. And of course, just as this one, you've got several of them who were not ready when the bridegroom returns and there's so much we could talk about in the Jewish culture and the wedding ceremony we've done that here probably about a year ago so he's at the end and he's reminding his followers hey listen you know he's already told them several times I'm about to go so this automatically as Jesus is telling the story his followers are thinking okay Jesus is the master and he's entrusted to us resources Likely, they would not have immediately thought about money because most of his followers had no money. Remember, his followers left everything on the beach to go and follow him or left the tax table as Matthew left to go follow him. They didn't have a lot of wealth. They didn't have places to stay. They slept most of the time in the Garden of Gethsemane. They didn't didn't have a home. So they didn't immediately, in their minds, jump to money. They more about capacities. That God has entrusted to us different capacities. The servant was condemned. There's really no other word for it. Not for what he had done, but for what he had not done. I say that because most of us tend to think about wickedness as breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Like we actively, out of our own volition and will, we lied when we shouldn't have lied. But here, it says that this one was condemned, not for what he had done, but for what he should have done. Reminds you of the letter that James wrote, right? The one who doesn't do the good that he ought to do. But here, you see that wicked can apply as much to a failure to invest your life to the fullest potential as it can to the most egregious violation of the laws of God. Why didn't this third servant invest his bag of gold? That's what he, that's what, that was the response the master said in the story that Jesus is telling. Well, the least you could have done, bro, is taken it down to the bank and put it in a savings account and earn me 0.02 of 1% or whatever, maybe a few coins. 
but he didn't. Why did he not invest his bag of gold? Because it felt risky. When you invest, you run the risk of losing it all together. You lose control of it. What happens if things go bad and you, and you end up bad and you end up with nothing? So maybe it's a better idea if I just cling to what I have and hold it tightly and enjoy it for myself or the knowledge of knowing I have it for myself. But this parable shows you and me that such a mentality is wicked. To be obedient is to risk what you have for the kingdom of God. John Piper wrote a book called Risk is Right. Wasn't a huge popular, popular book. It wasn't about investing in the stock market. In that book, he explains that throughout the Bible, most believers were called upon to take extreme risk for the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, if you look through it, hardly anyone was ever tapped on the shoulder given this assignment that was easy to accomplish, that felt comfortable, that was sure. You see David and Goliath. David had no guarantee that God would smite Goliath. I mean, David may have been uh, incredible with that uh, slingshot, but the fact that he would take down someone that the rest of the Israelite army was scared to death of. I'm sure David was trying to have this secret huddle with God as he's walking up to him like, God, you better show up now or I'm going to be that guy's meal. God comes through. Well, what, what was that risk for David? Another story in uh, Samuel with Jonathan and his armor bearer. You remember this? First Samuel records this heroic story of Jonathan, who was David's best friend, Saul's son, and his armor bearer taking on the entire garrison of Philistine soldiers. And the most intriguing thing is how Jonathan invited his armor bearer to come and join him to face these. They were outnumbered. Uh, they were outtrained. They were out everything. This is like this is where Rambo kind of comes from. But he didn't like his, his, like his ask, his vision ask is not really that convincing. He says, uh, John says, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised Philistines over there. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps. If I were the armor bearer, I would have been, uh, uh, I'm sorry, bro. I'm going to need God to like tell me something a little more sure. If I'm going to go with you, over there to fight them. But the Bible's full of them. Esther, Queen Esther went before the king to plead for the lives of her people, putting her own, her very own, text makes it very clear, putting her very own life at risk. She had no idea of what her outcome would be, no special revelation from God. If I perish, I perish, she says. Or maybe Paul's entire life. Just read 2 Corinthians. It's unbelievable. This guy... I mean, could anything worse happen to him? Paul never knew where the next blow would come from. Every day he risked his life for the cause of God. The roads weren't saved. The rivers weren't saved. His own people weren't saved. The Jews weren't saved. The Gentiles weren't saved. The cities weren't saved. The wilderness wasn't saved. The sea wasn't saved. Even the so-called Christian brothers weren't even saved. Safety was a mirage. It simply didn't exist for the Apostle Paul. And yet he's got some kind of drive. He tells us in, in 2 Corinthians, it's for the love of God that compels us. You remember the, you remember the riot in Ephesus and all of the big uh, uproar about the, in the riot and they're coming to kill him and he barely gets rescued by the believers and he's taken out and he's like, 
Like, put me back in, coach. I want to go back in there and just share the gospel one more time. Let me go, let me go. The entire early church, an example of a generation who risked awakening. They had no right to exist. They lived under an emperor who was crazy and was using them to stick them on poles and put tar over them, light them up so that he would light their parties with them. Every time they preached or made a convert or had a prayer meeting or performed a miracle, they were in danger of being hauled before the authorities and put out of existence. You think about some of the some of our friends in Southeast Asia. Who as these people in these little villages come to Christ. Sometimes they're allowed to stay. They're just ostracized from community, meaning I won't sell you any goods. Many times they're actually forced from their villages. And where they had grown up and everything they known and their ancestral lands and everything, at one thing, just because they claim Jesus as Lord and resist worshiping Buddha, they're pushed out. And some of them have started a little collective of people who've been ostracized, but what did it, what did it, it cost them everything? point is, friends, the Christian life is a call to risk. You will either live with risk, or as Piper says so eloquently, you will waste your life. But we say, but God, I want some kind of guarantee. But God rarely gives his people one. You know what he does? He just invites us to trust him by faith. As a matter of fact, Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you could see everything in front of you and were fully guaranteed of the success of your next step, it would not be faith. I knew it would be a little quiet in the room. I didn't know it would be this quiet. What happens when you don't take risks? Well, the Bible gives us a litany of examples there, too. You remember the spies, 12 spies that are sent in to explore the promised land? And they come back, and 10 spies, hey, there are giants in there. We're like grasshoppers. This is not David and Goliath. The whole group is Goliath. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And then... Yeah, but, you know, we believe God still wants us to do it. Let's go. The nation of Israel, on hearing that report, said, no, this seems too risky. Let's stay here and wait for a more opportune time. Let's hope they all get COVID. Let's, let, let's, let's, let's hope something happens to them. You know, that is that has happened in the, in the past. They knew stories of when the angel of the Lord would show up and they'd wake up the next day and the whole army that was against them was no more. Maybe they're looking for that. It's interesting to me that God's verdict to the Israelites and to the ten spies, now the, the two spies that answered with faith didn't, didn't disagree that they were like grasshoppers in their sight. They just said, you know what, I still think God wants us to do it. But God's verdict on them was wrong decision. It's interesting to me that God calls the report of the ten, if you go back and read it in Numbers 13, verse 32, he calls their report evil. 
What do you mean evil? Every word that those other spies said was true. But it was evil because they refused to see it with the eyes of faith and take a risk. God struck the ten spies dead with a plague. And then the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until an entire generation had died. What happens when you don't take risks? You don't see the promises of God. What happens when you don't take risks? Oftentimes your kids don't get to see the promises of God. Can you imagine walking around for 40 years as part of the punishment? In circles, literally in circles. And your little boy is pulling at your coat and he's like, Dad, we've seen that rock before. What? Oh, this is because you didn't believe the word of God and take a risk. Risking is dangerous, but not risking is more dangerous. What are the risks that God calls? What are the risks that God may be calling you to? Even this weekend, even today, what are the risks? A new ministry that God's put on your heart, you've been ignoring him, pushing it away, coming up with a thousand reasons that you can't take that step. Maybe it's moving your heart to pursue adoption or join this match team as Jamie talked about or serving the hub or taking even that more step to serve the hub through their VIP ministry or start teaching them. Maybe it's a divinely directed career change. Maybe it's joining one of our missional communities or getting in a DG and you're fearful of being known and who are they going to think about me and yet you feel the Holy Spirit pushing you every time you come, every time it's mentioned, there's a tug of your heart, I should do that, I should do that. And then you come with all the reasons why that's not a good idea because it's dangerous and it's uncomfortable and I don't, I don't have time to do that. Maybe it's something a little closer at hand. Maybe it's just simply forgiving someone. You've been, you've been wrongfully hurt and and that has become such a big deal in your own heart that you will not extend forgiveness because you don't know what's going to happen in your heart. You're afraid. Maybe it's sharing Christ with someone like we did last week. Anybody get an opportunity to do that this week? To invite someone to step across the line of faith? Maybe it's trying to reorder your marriage God's way. Jason's doing a, a marriage uh, class for the next several weeks, and I'm excited that you guys got there today to learn but some of it is we've just adopted the world's practices in our marriages and it doesn't work that way god gave us very simply i mean simple steps in order to make the the marriage work maybe it's courageously waiting for god's choice in your marriage maybe you've been single a long time and you just man it would just be so easy just to compromise and the step of faith before you is just to wait patiently on the Lord. Maybe it's obeying God and how you approach business, operating with integrity in fields that hardly anyone else is going to see exactly what you do. And, the, and, and there might be really gray areas, but you're always going to err on the side of being above reproach. Maybe that's the risk you're doing. And because you're doing that, it is costing you a lot of money. But listen, God sees. Maybe it's being obedient to God with your finances. God, if I give you the first fruits of my income, how am I even going to make it? For some of you, it's a step of baptism. Baptism is the first step of obedience after coming to Christ. And some of you have never taken that step, and it feels risky. And like, I'm an adult, and there's a bunch of kids being baptized, and I'm the only adult. 
can I just be honest with you in my heart? You know the best next step you can take is the one that God's leading you to. We're talking about the word risk, but again, the Bible really uses the word faith. Obedience always involves faith. Your choices are obedience and faith or disobedience with the illusion of safety and the guaranteed anger of God. Well, taking that risk produces fear, doesn't it? I was thinking, I even tried to draw it on my iPad this morning, but the only person allowed to draw it to church is Jason, so I did not draw it. I feel like we're on this island of comfort. This is the comfort zone. And, and in the distance, we can kind of see the promises of God. But separating us from our comfort zone and the promises of God is this water that surrounds us called fear. And it's just too scary. All that God has for us is out there waiting for us. Rooms in heaven that you will never, ever see unless you take that first step faith it isn't that what this servant said look at verse 25 so I was afraid well how do you overcome that fear the answer is revealed in the different attitudes that these servants have here towards their master you see the first two you see how they, the master, came, and, and they showed up. In verse 20, end of verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered, or you invested, or you gave to me five talents. There's this, like, wonderful greeting. It's like, you know, like you've been working hard. You know, you know, every once in a while, it doesn't happen too often, so I don't want to take too much credit. Every once in a while, I'll clean the house when Ashley's not there. Let me just let me just lower the bar. Every once in a while, I'll throw my own dirty clothes in the in the in the wash machine. And I will wait eagerly for Ashley to get home just to notice and say, "Good boy. You you did good." Just to move my shoes out of the living room or just to wash the dishes. And if she comes in, and she does not talk about how that sink was full and now it's empty, right? I just want the, I want the, I want the immediate attaboy. And you can see these, they'd, they'd work hard. Immediately, it says, they took what God invested them and they immediately, inv and inv they immediately put it to work. It says in the, verse 16, they took the five talents and went at once and he traded them and he made five talents more. Same with the other, took the two. And at once. So the first two just can't wait to see the master. They've done good work. They've taken it. They've invested their talents. They've invested their capacity. They've, they're filled with eager anticipation like, like a dad returning from a trip. He just can't wait to see his kiddo. But the third servant says, he doesn't he didn't say, man, master. He didn't, he didn't, not the same greeting. He immediately insults the master. Look at 
verse 24, he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was angry. He's even critical. He's not eager to see him at all. And there's two differences, and then we're going to end here, two differences. The first two servants, they trusted in the master's goodness. These first two servants had a sense that their master was good and trustworthy. They felt the freedom and confidence in risking. I love that song that we sing sometimes, the goodness of God. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. Every step you're able. Friends, what else do you need to see from God to know that you can trust him, that you can trust in the master's goodness? You remember when you were first learning how to swim? Your kids were learning how to swim, and you would, you would try to coax them into the pool. You remember that? All three of my kids did this differently. Claire watched intently. She wanted to make sure she knew how to work. I'm surprised she didn't, like, draw a schematic of it. She just wanted to watch intently. And then by the second or third time she's in, she wanted them floaties off. Like, I'm in, Dad, let's go. <laughs> Ellie, she's a little harder to convince. She would grab onto your neck in the pool. So she had, she had double floaties and goggles. I tried to get a picture to show you. Maybe I'll put it in the Friday Five this week. Double floaties and the goggles, and still, she would not let go of you. And so when you were getting her to jump, you know, she wouldn't. I'd be standing the wide line. She'd be like, come a little closer, come a little closer. Come a little closer, come a little closer, come a little closer. And so basically I'm standing right next to her, and she would kind of just like lean forward, touching the whole time. There was no jumping. You never left. She'd be so proud of herself. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dad, look at what I just did. See, your kids needed to be convinced. My kids needed to be convinced that I was strong enough to catch them. And then my heart was good. I was not going to let them fall. Arms were strong, heart was good. And this is the same thing when it comes to taking steps by faith. To know that the heart of God for you is good. I mean, what else do we need to see but the cross of Jesus Christ? That his heart for us is good. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What else do you need to see to be convinced that the heart of God is good and that the arms of God are strong? If the cross reveals how God feels about me, why would I not feel safe jumping into his arms? And if the resurrection is a forever reminder of the power of God at work, why would I not trust him as he leads? These servants trusted in the master's goodness, and then secondly, they had a desire to share in the master's joy. The first two servants seemed excited about the master's return and eager to see the kingdom expand, and so they risked. And the master, when he returned, he gives them two things, greater responsibility. One had five got ten, and one that had the two got four. Greater responsibility and a greater share of his joy. Greater responsibility. I confess the first time I read that, I didn't quite understand exactly. Like I did the job well, so you're giving me more work to do. But those people who've been faithful on earth, I'm not sure exactly what it means in the coming kingdom. If we'll like uh, 
like in a Marvel movie, oversee more universes or companies of angels or I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what it means, but it says if we're faithful with the capacity that God's given us on earth, that in we'll get more on earth, even as this, the one that had 10 got the, got the one that uh, the, the unfaithful steward, uh, the unfaithful servant didn't steward well. We'll get more here on earth, but we'll also get more in, in the next life. We'll get more in heaven. I don't know if in the millennial reign of Christ, if we'll like, that means we'll be governors or if that's the case, God, I want Florida. I want to some with beaches. Greater responsibility and greater joy. There was joy that drove Jesus. The joy that drove Jesus is almost indescribable. In Hebrews 12, it tells us that Jesus, as he went to the cross, was filled with joy who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and now sits down at the right hand of God. It was joy that Jesus endured the cross, and that joy was for me, and that joy was for you. And when you get a sense of that, then you long for others to share in that same joy as well. So your life begins to look different when you've lived a life convinced that the heart of God is good for you, that he loves you, and that his hands are strong, that you're confident in his power. The question that sits in front of us is what areas might God be asking you to take a risk in? A step of faith. That's what this series is going to be for the next seven weeks. It's going to be every week what What's God saying to you? Now, our dreams and goals for these next seven weeks, pretty straightforward. They're exciting to me. As you know, that from the beginning, we've had these three main pictures that we use to describe our faith family, that we're, we're family, we're disciple, we're missionaries. And we've talked about those at length. You hear those all the time. If you've been to Covenant once, you've probably heard those talked about, or at least one of them. They line up with the way that Jesus modeled his life and the way that Jesus commanded us to go. And our goals for this next seven weeks, and we're not calling this a campaign for this very purpose because it, it's not about the money. As disciples, my prayer is that we grow in maturity. That everyone in our faith family, teenagers in here included, would learn to hear God's voice and risk obeying. You know God speaks all the time. And if I ask you what's God been telling you lately and you take me back to your conversion experience 20 years ago, you're missing the point. What's God been saying to you lately? God wants to commune with you and talk to you. He wants to reveal steps of faith and he wants to empower you to take them for your good and for his glory. My prayer is that we as a faith family grow in maturity in every arena of life. That's the disciple. And as a family, my prayer is that we would join together to build a legacy. I really like the word multiply our legacy better. I pray that we would sacrifice together to make this next step a reality, that our sense of community and buy-in would go deeper. I'm praying we have 100% participation in this next step. My girls, Claire and Ellie, always wanted to go to Disney World, and we could never afford Disney World. And so we put a jar next to the mantle in our living room, and this was our Disney jar. And every time we earned extra money, we just stuck money in the Disney jar. And I remember even my kids sacrificing, going through couch cushions, 
intentionally getting a dollar. Could I have ice cream to go get ice cream, but then not getting the ice cream, putting it in the business account? And this is kind of what we're talking about. Like, I, we're not the kind of church, we don't have any super wealthy people in here. No one's probably going to write one check that's going to any, any of that. And that wouldn't be the point anyway. I mean, if you've got millions, I'll take millions. But that's, that's not the point. We would multiply our legacy by all of us sacrificing, having 100% participation. And then finally, that we would expand our reach. These are our goals. Now, building a building will naturally help us do that, but a building won't do it for us. As I said last week, there are churches all over, certainly the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex area, even here, that have incredible facilities but no life inside them. So my hope is that we make a practice of investing and inviting. We've talked about that for over a decade now, encouraging you, hopefully modeling for you, investing in the lost and those that are far from God and inviting them to take a spiritual step. A step might be to attend one of our gatherings with you. That's a great step. Or to show up to a community event with you or backyard Bible, uh, backyard barbecue with you or maybe just to have coffee. Just this week I was talking to one of the, uh, I, spent a lot, I love coffee, so I spent a lot of time at coffee shops. And I was talking to one of the baristas at the coffee shop at Starbucks, and uh, she was uh, she she was she sees me come in all the time. She was asking me what was going on. She was on her break working on a little sketch pad. And I was like, "What are you drawing?" She's talking about art. Just a quick minute, and you know, I was like, "Do you ever sell your art?" And she's like, "Well, so I'm not good enough to really sell it." And I was like, "Well, I, I would love to buy a piece from you." She said, "Well, what, what would what, what what would you want me to draw?" I was like, "I I love trees, artwork of trees, pictures of trees," and she's kind of puzzled. And I said, do you, you have access to a Bible? And she said, yeah, I do. I do. I used to go to youth group, but I haven't been in a long time. And I said, well, I want you to go home. I want you to read Psalms 1. It talks about the tree. The leaf doesn't wither. I want you to go read that, and then I'm going to go by Starbucks tomorrow, and I hope she's there. We're going to talk about it. Well, what did you see? See, it's just a little step. I didn't, like, lay out the Romans road in front of her. I just invited her in to take a step of faith. Go read Psalms 1 and see what the Holy Spirit does. And I've been praying every day for that woman. God, when she opens your word, would it come alive to her? We would expand our reach. Additionally, we're going to expand our reach, not just having a building and able to do this, but we're going to give a percentage, 10% of everything that we bring in through this initiative over the next couple years, 10% of everything is going to go to our uh, ministries in New Orleans. We've got one church planted there, another church fixing to start there, and I pray that we're able to plant 100 churches in New Orleans before, before I go to heaven. We're going to take communion in just a minute. My message is over, and I don't want you to listen to me, but I do want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a, just a second and we're going to come take communion in just a minute. You don't have to be a member here to take communion, but you do have to be part of God's family. If you're not part of God's family, just sit this little practice out. This is easier. The grape juice is no good anyway. It means more to us, though, because to the Christian, communion is a reminder that we now have the body of Jesus Christ inside of us, that we have filled with the Holy Spirit. We are now the temple. Blood represents the payment for our sin. We remember that. 
We remember our identity. I love that Reynolds is focusing on identity in their disciple now. If you know your identity as a dearly loved son or daughter of God, there is not much that this world can throw at you that's going to last long. So that's what communion is. It just reminds us we're part of God's family. But, but secondly, what, what I want you to do is I want you to ask this question. Before you get up, everybody, maybe you just bow your head and close your eyes wherever you're at. Would you just ask this prayer? Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? And I want you, as he speaks to you, before you come take communion, and if you don't hear anything, that's fine. I want you to keep praying. He's going to speak. I want you to just write that down somewhere. You don't have to give that to me. Write it on your hand. Write it on a sheet of paper. Maybe it's continue doing some of the things you're already doing. Maybe it's a big step of faith that's in front of you. Maybe it's the forgiveness piece or sharing the gospel this week. And maybe it's just seeing yourself as a dearly loved son or daughter of the king of kings. you pray that prayer holy spirit what would you have me do we'll give you time to do that come take communion when you're ready i'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone maybe you're here and all this just sounds so weird to you because you're not part of god's family today's your day of salvation i pray that you would step across that line of faith come when you're ready and then we'll sing was grace that tore my heart to free, and grace my fears relieved, 
take a seat just real quick man thank you guys today for encouraging us golly now I'm all weepy talking again um it's a day of the week 